Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, and I'm joined with Momentum. We are 30-year Wall Street analysts who have taken on secret identities, gone underground, changed our voices, changed our names, uh, changed our hometowns in order to bring you three or four or a handful of great ideas from each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we look at the August 19th, 2011 edition of the uh, Value Line Investment Survey Small and Mid-Cap Edition. And... Uh, and so uh, we have, I think, three terrific ideas this week. They're all Internet-related, and we'll get to that in a minute. First, a couple of caveats. This show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, this is a hobby after hours, and while during the week Mo and I take a lot of care with client accounts to go through every filing, every ratio, we talk to management, um, here we do none of those things. Uh, we're just having a little fun after work. And third... Um, and I'll speak for myself, I've been heavily drinking, so uh, beware of that. And then finally, my lawyer says I should tell you that uh, we may not have your best interests in mind, and anything we say on the show could be uh, completely fabricated and may not be in your best interest to even listen to. So, And, of course, you already know that if you've been a regular listener. You know that, especially if you're a lawyer. Yeah. Because they think that way. <laughs> well, that's who I unfortunately talk to. So, Mo... Um, Welcome back again to the show. Um, it's good to see you're still here. Yeah. They've, they've locked the windows in the shop. Over at your place? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had been keeping them open since 2009. I kind of unlocked them sometime in late 2009. But, yeah, we had to button up again this week. And, in fact, uh, the market. Have you, ever, have you ever gone bungee jumping? Just in this job. Yeah. Yeah. The no. same. It's the same kind of thrill, you know? So, you lose your breath at first, you hit bottom, then there's that exhilaration of popping back up, then there's, uh-oh. When are we going to get that part, the uh, pop popping back up part? Is that coming? Well, it's a, it's a long cord. <laughs> well, it's a long way down. We have, um, we've, we're, I'm going to just make an, a pronouncement here on the show. We are in a, uh, a downtrend in the stock market. Yes, you're hearing it here. <laughs> First. And so what do you do if you're a value guy and you're down? Well, first of all, um, certainly reassess all your intrinsic value estimates, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, the opportunity really is to uh, buy some cheap stocks. Don't sell cheap stocks. Uh, so, you know, if you do that, that's not good. But this is an opportunity to take a look at your portfolio, do a little swapping. Some things that are down maybe should be down. But I can tell you there's a lot of things that are down uh, that should not be down. Or maybe they should be down right now but are apt to um, uh, continue to um, deliver to their clients and deliver value. And at some point the market will recognize that. Hopefully we have a couple of those here today. When, when, let me ask you a question about the way your shop works because we do things a little differently over where I am. Do you guys look top-down? Do you say, you know, I'm looking at the, um, do you know that the uh, treasuries are a 60-year low, the yields are a 60-year low? And Bill Gross from PIMCO said this morning, I think we're going into a recession. Yeah. Now, do you guys look at that and then say, we're going to use that to color some of our 
decisions in our stock picking, or are you really from the bottom up? I like this name. We're going to weather whatever we're going to weather, and I'm buying it. Well, we are bottom up, and what that means is um, make an estimate of the value of the stock you're looking at, compare it to the current stock price if it's a big enough discount, or what we do is we put it into terms of expected return um, on an annualized basis. And so we say that, um, you know, we're bottom-up. But having said that, I would say that any bottom-up approach is going to include uh, estimates of value of companies out in the future. And when you do that, you're going to have estimates of sales, earnings, cash flows. We do 10-year models on all of our companies. And so inherently in that model is some sense of how well they can do over the next few years. Now, years ago... Uh, Mo, when we first got in the business, you know, it was not uncommon if you had no idea what a company might grow at, um, what number would you pick? I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you'd say, well, 8% because yeah. you had your inflation component right. at 5 and you had 3 4% growth. So thinking about 8% or 7%, that was also the long-term bond rate for years. So in some sense, if you're borrowing money at 8%, Anything you do from a capital allocation point of view has to return 8% or you're losing money. I mean, one negative to this environment is when long bonds are at, uh, you know, 0% or 0.5% and you borrow money at that rate or you borrow money at 2 or 3%, um, you know, you don't have to be as disciplined in what you're using that capital for. Because if I borrow at 2, I only need a 3% return. Unless that reason that it is at 2 is that the... The bond market is telling us that you're not going to have growth in the United States that's greater than one. Well, I do think that's what the bond market uh, is telling you. But on an individual basis, and particularly when you look at small cap stocks, sometimes the big environment is uh, affecting these companies a little bit, but it doesn't have the giant effect that it would have on a large cap company simply because there's still room to gain share, to grow by uh, territory uh, increments and such. So when you're, when you're small gaining share uh, with a superior product or service, sometimes the economy is, uh, you know, is not going to be a big impact. And particularly if there's a recession and you're offering something better and cheaper, recessions are a lot of times a time a new entrant can get some traction because people are open to looking at new things. So, but I, I don't disagree with Mr. Gross. I mean, we're bottom-up, but um, an outlook for the economy bubbles into our earnings estimates, and so it comes in a little bit that way. We don't sit around and, and, and try to decide what GDP is going to be. That's not important to our, to our process. We don't, you know, we're not making uh, important bets on interest rates and such, but those things do implicitly uh, end up in our uh, forecast for sales and earnings. And, you know, the great thing about the first company that we're, we're going to look at is uh, when your stock price is only a you know, buck and a quarter, it's not like you can go down $5. Well, that's true. So you have limited you downside. limited downside, yeah. absolutely, in, yeah. in, dollar, in absolute terms. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so should we get to the stocks this week or just leave people kind of wondering about that? Let's leave them wondering. Okay. We do have, uh, we do have some... Uh, what kinda, do we have? We have X-rated names today. We do? We have a couple of X-rated names. Yeah. The first one that I looked at when you emailed me this over at the office... Intrigued me because it's it's rare that we have an opportunity to buy a stock that's gone from 30 to 3 and has uh, just completed a public offering. Yeah, well, I don't know that it's at 3 anymore. Let me uh, take a look here. Uh, or a dollar and a half. It could be a little lower now. dollar and a half. Let's see. 
What technically is micro cap? Is this uh, small? This is a buck forty. You know, we that's we, held up. Yeah, we, uh, we have a little micro cap strategy here. Micro cap is kind of, uh, you know, I define it as stocks that are sort of under five hundred million in market cap, and then small cap might be uh, five hundred to two to three billion, and then mid cap might be two to five, and then large cap might be over five. But you know. People have different lines for some of those things. So I, just to, as an aside, we were at Smith & Walensky's the other night. You bought drinks. Was that a platinum card that you had? Uh, yeah, I think so. Why don't we just buy the whole company? Buy e-diets. Put it on the credit card. Well, you know, we could do that. You, can, you, you, don't, have a, you don't have any limit on that card, do you? No. Well, I'll no. Say we, I, li- I like the story. See, that's the thing about these little ones is that if there's something that you see that could be changed over the next couple quarters, it could possibly happen because it only takes a few new clients to move these things. Um, well, let's get into this one because it's pretty interesting. I'm going in alphabetical order again this week. Don't have the page numbers. Uh, this is out of the small and mid-cap edition. And the first one up this week is E-Diets, ticker D-I-E-T. Now, Great ticker. Yeah. Now, before you say anything out there, you're going to say, well, Val, come on. These guys are down from 30, down from 40. Actually, you already said that. Yeah. And they're not making any money. In fact, their operating margin is NMF all over the page, non-meaningful. They're losing money. In fact, they've lost money every year. They seem to have no cash, debt, and they're going to zero. So, Val, why would you recommend that? And I would say, well, first of all, a lot of that seems attractive to me and that the bad news is already in it. But the, the truth of this one is, is, as I look through this week's issue, there were a bunch of banks, and listeners have heard me talk about banks. I think we have too many banks. And the reason I say that you is... You mean be- too many banks like too many lawyers or too many well, banks in the value? Lawyers are still getting their full fee, I yeah. think, but just you know, older partners are being kicked out. So that's happening. But in banks... They're not er- the interest rate is too low to earn money, and so uh, why is that happening? Well, they can't package mortgages yeah, anymore right, either. Right, so that was right, gonna... right. There's no fee income. There's no demand. The country's deleveraging, and so um, I think that the banking space is just it's it's dangerous. You gotta and we do own banks in the shop, but they're banks we've really carefully looked at, talked to the people, know their loan portfolios, and all that. And none of that you can do from Value Line. And so I just passed on that whole group. And then the other group this week was Internet-related companies, and we own some of these and have been students of them. So that's the way I went. This e-diets. Now, if I just were looking through Value Line, I have to admit, I wouldn't be talking about it today. I Mo. did look through Value yeah. Line, and I, I called you and I said, what What's is this, this dog <laughs> doing? In well, okay. So it, it does look like a piece of crap. I'll give you that. But interestingly... The CEO of this company, and this is one of the cool things about this job, is all these CEOs come through your office wanting to tell you about their companies and why you should own them. In this case, e-diets, I mean, nobody covers it. So when they come to my office and talk to me, at that moment, I'm probably the only person in the world that knows what they're talking about, other than the other three people they spoke to earlier in the day or later in the day. There's no analyst coverage. There's no, you know... Kramer's not talking about this. Nobody knows anything about it. So I've already got a little bit of an edge in terms of proprietary knowledge. Now, 
the thing that this guy said to me that got me excited. This is Kevin McGrath. Kevin McGrath, the CEO. He came here, and what he said is, look, Val. And he didn't call me that because that's not my real name. But he said, look, Val, um, I came in here two years ago. This company's been losing money. I had customer acquisition costs too high. I had a gross margin too low. And this Kevin McGrath, he was a co-founder of DirecTV. He's been at General Motors. He's worked for Ross Perot. He went to Princeton. You know, he's got a good pedigree, and he's had a good history of success. He recently brought in uh, the chief marketing officer from his chief competitor, which is Nutrisystems. Nutrisystems, of course, does diet just the way these guys do, except that they're ten times as big. So right now, all Mr. McGrath wants to do is copy what his biggest competitor is doing, but add a few little tweaks that are better. One is uh, do food that's a little more fresh, and the way he does that in his mind is, you know, you have two distribution sites, East Coast and West Coast, instead of just one, which I guess Nutrisystems has. The other thing that he's doing is he's um, shifting the mix of product to where he's improving his gross margin uh, just a little bit. And when you walk through a model of direct marketing where you're measuring customer acquisition costs, you're measuring the contribution of each new customer, and you're testing copy, color, price points, the model in the ad, you're doing all these tests, you're making sure that when you buy cable television advertising, you're buying it at a great price, and you're very disciplined on that, you can drive the ROI in your business. Now, a few years ago, we owned a stock called PetMeds that looked a lot like this, except it's vitamins for pets. This is food for diets, but in terms of the go-to-market uh, strategy of using direct marketing and all the measurements that you can use to optimize your offer, that's what he's doing. And so his thought, uh, it's more than a thought, I've got his presentation here and he's been delivering a few quarters of these improving metrics, but his view right now is that next year he's going to deliver, um, you know, maybe 11, 12 million in EBITDA which is earnings before interest taxes and depreciation, that's cash flow. And uh, his, uh, his market cap right now is uh, 19 uh, million. So, um, wow, what does that say? Well, first, the market doesn't believe that's going to happen. Or they, the market doesn't they know. They don't know They him, don't know. Et cetera, that's true. And so they just did an offering. They raised some cash. So, again, when you look at the value line, he actually has more cash than that, another million or so, and more shares. And uh, and this Mr. McGrath owns um, about 10% of the stock now, so he's very incentivized. And somebody kicked the tires enough on this company to buy 6 million shares. They did? Where are you seeing that? Well, the shares went from 6 oh, million. Oh, the offering. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Right. So they just did that. So some so when you when you do that kind of an offering, I mean six million isn't exactly chump change regardless of you're you're making that kind of an investment in this company, you're gonna kick the tires, I would hope, a little bit. Yeah. Well, I haven't kicked them too much. We're just getting into the story right now here in the shop. But um, you know, he's doing twenty three million in two thousand ten. He might do a little more than that in two thousand eleven. The market for these um Shipped meals is about three hundred and fifty million, according to Mr. McGrath, and uh, he's just going right after it. There's four companies that can do this nationally. E Diets is one of them. 
Um, and then there's a couple others here. You can see I've scribbled them down, but I can no longer read my own handwriting, so that's fine. You know, when you when, did you notice this when you look at the management <laughs> team that uh, you've got uh, their um, chief marketing officers from Bucknell, their VP of meal delivery is from Cornell, their CFO is from Clemson, and uh, Kevin is a BA from Princeton and MBA from Dartmouth. Yeah, not uh, bad. Not bad. Not bad for a. And then, buck and a half. Well, and then uh, the uh, the experience of this um, food operations guy is, um, you know, he's worked for a lot of years at Myers Bakeries, Quaker Oats, Edwards Fine Food, so he's very well versed. And there's, I think, the CMO is chief marketing officer, right. so um, she's right from Nutrisystem. They're, you know, their number one competitor that they're trying to basically copy. And so I think, you know, he's certainly got the right people. But when I page through this, you know. Uh, presentation, you can see they're really focused on the metrics that can help them, and I'm just looking for that page here. Their customer acquisition costs? Customer acquisition costs. Um, he's trying to basically, if you can lengthen the, the number of weeks that people stay on the program, interestingly, these diet plans, they tend to keep people on for only six, seven, eight weeks, and then people drop off, either they don't like the food, they can't stick with it, whatever, and um, he's changing up some dials right now to, to lengthen that time out. Um, a little bit of pricing, a little bit of better flavor, they're doing a lot of testing to try to get the average person to stay on a little more, and they're, uh, over the last, as you could see, eight quarters, they've been improving their gross margin from, you know, in the 30s up into the 40s, and that's going to help with their ROI per customer. And so, you know, it's this is one that um, it would take a great deal of, I won't say faith, because you shouldn't just go on faith, you should do your own homework. But he's right at an inflection point right now between losing money and making money. And, uh, and so, I mean, if they really put up 14 million in EBITDA, at this share count, that's a buck a share in EBITDA, and the stock would probably go to six or seven. And right now, it's a buck the percentage probability of that, I have no idea, but I'm going to say it could be 15, 20%. Based, that's low, but um, it's higher than a lot of situations like this. And, you know, the resumes that are uh, making an effort here, I think, are, are stellar. So and, and the let, odds could be even higher. Than and that. Let, let's face it, as a, as a nation, we're not getting any thinner. No. So they're, no, clearly, they're clearly catering to a phenomenon that's not seeming to reverse itself anytime soon. Yeah, and you know, one of their allies is doctors, because when you go to your doctor, uh, they're always talking to you about losing weight, and, and you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Um, although, Mo, you pointed out that, you know, one negative to the story could be if Americans just start getting comfortable with being overweight. Yeah, that'd throw be the, the risk. Throw in the towel. Yeah, that's what, the when towel. I looked at the graph, that's what I thought it meant. That, but you know, you got you, you, you got to love their their um, their website too ediets.com. Yeah. Great own. great ticker, great website. Uh, you can go to their website at ediets.com and you probably start your tire kicking, order some meals, see yeah, if you like the meal. way they taste. Now, the other thing he mentioned, about 70% of their business comes under this e-diet brand. You can buy meals or just buy recipes. But then uh, there's a, evidently this television show, The Biggest Loser. Yep. He owns that brand for food. So 30% of their business is under the brand The Biggest Loser. And, uh, and so for people who 
watch that show and get caught up in that, this is the companion, um, you know, meal plan that would would go with that. So that's that's pretty cool. In terms of well, what is the valuation right now? Val, you're not even talking about it. Yeah, I'm not talking about it because it's there, terrible. Because there isn't any. The sales per share. We talked about this last week. Sales per share are in 2010 two bucks. And let's say uh, there's been a big share count increase this year, so the sales per share might even go down a little bit this year because there's more shares. But let's say it's um, a buck fifty, right where the stock price is, a buck fifty. Now, uh, they're not making money right now, but um, a buck fifty times fifteen is about uh, twenty-two million in sales, and so you know it. It looks to me as if the, the sales per share are going to have to grow. They're doing a little bit more on the advertising. They're, they're, uh, um, they've just added a couple of uh, direct marketing people to build that out, and they're doing more testing, and they're going to blow out a bunch of new advertisements here this fall. So conceivably that goes up a little bit. Um, but, you know, when they're not earning money, you want to make an estimate, $2 uh, per share in sales, let's say a 15% operating margin, so that's thirty cents in EBITDA, and the stock's at a buck forty. It's five times EBITDA. So I might look at it in that way, um, and that's why I like to look at sales per share because the share price is in per share, and so it makes it easy. But there's not a lot here that would really argue to buy it based on the current um, profile of the company. This is one, and I don't do this that often, where you really need. Uh, the future to roll out in the way that management's attempting, but I'd say on the basis of the resume and the, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they're copying a competitor that's doing it well, I, I'd give them a pretty good shot. And it's certainly worth looking at. Ediets.com, ticker D-I-E-T. You know, I'd throw in, um, you know, the five things I like about the company is one that nobody knows who they are. Yeah. When you talk about an inefficient name, um, that's when you're going to hit your. That's when you're going to hit your home runs. It's not when a company's covered with analysts yep. that you're going to find something. Two, I know that one of the biggest questions that I often get is uh, when are you going to take the company out on the road? Because if I take the company out on the road and everyone knows they're going to go see 50 investors, they buy before the little road show, hoping that the enthusiasm that the road show generates is going to have a little blip in the stock. So I know that they were here in City X that we're operating from. Do you know? <laughs> do you, City X, top secret. Yeah. Do you know, uh, are they going anywhere else? Uh, Is it a big dog and pony where they're going to they see a lot of investors? Are, they're getting around to a few cities. Okay. It's not going to be just here. Are they, um, where are they based? Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. So obviously they're... Uh, they're but it's, 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 you don't come to... A, you don't come to our city, which is a very large city. Um, it's a metropolitan, a metro, metropolis, really. It is a metropolis. It is. Um, you don't come with a 25-page PowerPoint presentation, the whole management team in tow with your investment banker if you think you're about to, you know. Uh, well, I'll tell you, though, Mo, um, they had trouble getting meetings because they're so small, 19 million market cap. I mean, most people... They can't, can't buy it. Yeah, they can't, can't buy, buy it. They position. can't visit with them. Yeah. So we took a meeting, but, you know, uh, the guy that wanted me to meet, he, he was basically begging me to take the meeting because they weren't finding a lot of people who wanted to, um, 
you know, visit with this company simply because of the size. There was no uh, judgment on the quality or anything. It's just, you know, and hey, it's a, tiny. They're losing money. You know, I, I have other things to do. It's an interesting story. And the last thing is, though, so you, you're going to go buy $2,000 worth of this stock. You're really just piggybacking on people that have bought about $12 million worth of the stock or $6 million worth of the stock. And obviously they had access to information that our listeners are never going to have access to, talked with management, went through the numbers a little more. They made the decisions. So, yeah, I like it. I and they like probably it. bought it at higher prices. And limited downside. Yeah, yeah, the, just the buck forty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so uh, that is uh, ediets.com. Okay, next up, and this one is even more exciting than that one. <coughs> uh, and I've talked about this before a little bit, although it never came up in Value Line, I don't think. It's called Limelight Networks, ticker LLNW, <clears throat> and it's in this week's value line, small and mid-cap edition. I own this stock, uh, and our clients own it. And what do they do is they, and I'm reading value line, they provide high-performance content delivery network services. It delivers content for media companies and content providers, including businesses operating in the television, newspaper, movie, and social media industries. Now, um, they've got some, you know, product names here and all that, but just to tell you in layman's terms, um, what these guys do is they provide the technology that allows both Netflix, who they signed earlier this year, and also Amazon, who they signed earlier this year, Amazon's uh, digital streaming service. They provide the backbone for all those digits to stream to your screen. So how does the movie show up nice and smoothly when a million people are clicking on it, uh, you know, but with their technologies? And so, um, honestly, we had an analyst recommend this in the shop, and they'd already had the Netflix deal, and I think the Netflix deal kind of got the stock popped a little bit. And I just thought, you know, I don't know. You know, someone else could come out with something. These technologies are easy to eclipse and there's other competitors in the space. Well, about two weeks after that, Amazon signed up. And so you got the two biggest streamers of video, um, both using this limelight backbone. And it's for a higher-end service. They have a competitor named Level 3 that I think is doing um, some more basic um, service in this niche. But at the high-end, high-service area, Limelight's been doing it. And I think the market's gotten a little disappointed here because they put out their earnings a few weeks ago, and I think the market felt that this Amazon and uh, Netflix deal would lead to a little more profitability. But instead, they guided down, and the stock got beat up. Now, here's my view. Um, when you're a little company like this, their market cap is, uh, let's see, 100 million shares times two, so 200 million, so it's a microcap. When you're trying to do a deal with Amazon or Netflix, I mean, guess what? You've got to give them a deal. Or why would they do it? You're a little teeny company. Maybe they should just call AT&T and have AT&T do it. The reason you can get them to use you is that you're offering a deal. And oftentimes that leads to a year or two of sort of cash losses. But with the unit growth at Netflix and Amazon, um, they're going to blow through that break-even point with these two new customers over the next 12 or 18 months. And then because of those deals, I think a lot of the incremental video online is going to at least have them as a potential vendor because they must be delivering decent service if you have Amazon and Netflix. So that's the key to it. And then 
I guess from a profitability point of view, you know, they're, they're not really very profitable right now. They're trading at about one-time sales. And again, this sales per share number, it's important when you have no earnings because you can um, think about a margin they might earn. And so, you know, even if you take a low margin, say they earn 5%, they get to $3 in sales. That's 5% uh, on $3 is 15 cents. The stock is 2 bucks. That's, you know, 13 times earnings in a growth area that over the next few years is apt to continue to grow as people, you know, increasingly get movies online. So, again, is this a pure value play? Not exactly, but it reminds me a lot of the cable stocks that we used to buy as value guys 20 years ago when they weren't making any money, but they'd laid the cable, and you were valuing it on the basis of homes past. Do you remember that, Mo? Yeah. So how many homes does that cable go past, and you just made an assumption about how many people would eventually sign up for cable? And here, they're passing everyone's home. Homes past all. So how many people are going to sign up for Amazon and Netflix? Whoever does is going to be a limelight customer, and I'm going to postulate that over the next five years, um, there's going to be a 500% increase in the amount of streaming video online, and these guys are going to get a piece of that. Don't, 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 and doesn't Amazon, doesn't Amazon compete with Netflix? They do. Well, they do for movies, right? And yet they're both using the same backbone. That's what gave us the clue these guys are the best. The only ones there, even though I'm, I got to believe that Amazon and Netflix are not too pleased about having to share the, you know, the same backbone, but it, yeah. Well, on the other hand, maybe they're, you know, they, they both, are seeking the best, and through economies of scale, because they each are using it, maybe they each get a better deal as a result. I don't know. Or we, or we take this over to the uh, banking side of our shop and give it to a couple of those guys and say, really, strategically, Netflix should buy Limelight Networks, kick Amazon off, and own the $200 million? Well, that's... Another, another credit card financed deal. Yeah, right. There are, uh, there are rumors about a takeover. In fact, I think in the paper the other day, um, there was some buzz about Level 3 themselves right, right. buying Limelight. So, you know, ultimately, if this thing is really critical to the um, competitive advantage of Netflix video getting onto your screen, then, yeah, they would buy them. Plus, or, or hopefully Amazon and Netflix get into a bidding war. Plus, and you're, you're picking up $116 million of cash on the balance sheet, no debt, and you got all of the, the backbone. Um, what's the book value on this thing? Uh, book value. It's, you know, it's... It's, <laughs> it's, it's trading below book value? Yeah, yeah, it is. What? Yeah. Yep. How much money you got? Uh, well, let's see. We have enough to, uh, to buy this, but, uh, you know, that's always the question. Should you have a diversified portfolio of stocks? That's what we do. Or is that a loser strategy? If you think about the, you know, some of the richest people in the world, they owned one stock, right. and they owned all of it, <laughs> and, and it worked out. So mm. you constantly, that's the hazard of our business, right? You see a stock, you're like, well, what if I put all my money into this one. It's a home run. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, that um, you can do that, um, but they don't tell you about the people that did that and were never heard from again. So it's uh, it can be a successful strategy, but 
this kind of thing where technology is changing rapidly, and I don't pretend to understand exactly why Limelight's being chosen by Netflix and Amazon. I take the fact that they were chosen by both to tell me that these guys are a best, you know, best of class provider. But I can't look at the, you know, the the schematics here and know what's going on. And so sometimes you do have to rely on the judgment of others. I'd also say that it wouldn't shock me if uh, some guys at Stanford right now in a laboratory had invented a better way to do this. So I would never really want to put too much into it because there's so much uncertainty, particularly with the technology, um, you know, it's changing so rapidly. So, But interestingly enough, in 2010, they did another offering. Their shares jumped from 85 to 100 million. Yeah. And that boosted the uh, cash on the balance sheet. I don't know where it is right now, but again, you know, when a company completes an offering and well, it's that a successful. Well, that was an acquisition. It was an acquisition. They used stock to buy uh, clickability. And that was a $10 million of stock. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. 80, 90, 100. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, wait a minute. So where'd the uh, cash come from? Uh, perhaps clickability had cash in the balance sheet. And they got clickability. So that's a great deal. You gotta love a company that you can pay do ten it. million to get ten million in cash on the balance sheet. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. No, I don't know. Uh, and it could be that Amazon or Netflix gave them some money to build out some upfront costs associated with providing these new services. Both Amazon and Netflix signed up this year, so it's a new thing. I would say that, you know, the real ramp of Amazon and Netflix is it might affect the revenues and earnings of this company. Are really going to start to kick in next year. And to the extent that the whole world is going into a recession, I'd say this is probably a little recession-proof in the sense that um, it's cheaper to watch movies on the Internet than go to a theater. Right. So that could accelerate that trend. And if you stop going out to dinner and stop spending money and you spend 7 bucks a month on Netflix um, or rent Amazon movies for buck ninety-nine, you know, these guys could pick up some share in that entertainment space because it's cheap entertainment and a uh, recession could actually could actually help them. People it, cutting off cable, doing this instead. And it might have been a little bit of the ramp up in the, the stock during uh, 2010. Was rumors that they were going to sign up Amazon and Netflix. Yeah. So you kind of buy on the rumors, sell on the news. And so that's at that's least right. been taken out of the stock. Yep. Yeah, another. another so we got two. So in any case. Two, you under, know, two under two. It is what it is. You know, I've done a little less work this week than I was hoping to, but, um, you know, one of them, the guy was here, so that one was pretty easy. And then Limelight we own. So, okay, last up this week, uh, again, from the same issue that had all these Internet stocks, all the banks I ignored and then the Internet, um, a little company called Stamps.com, ticker S-T-M-P. Clever. Yeah. That's what you pay your investment bankers for. They figure that stuff out. Yep. You know, they you could come to them with no ticker symbol, and yeah. you know what? They can figure out a ticker symbol. Sometimes that's about all they can do. <laughs> it's okay, so what do I like about this one? Well, you know, it's not the valuation. Um, they have uh, $6 a share in revenue, stock at 17 they have, uh, what's the earnings here? Uh, it's also trading at a 50% premium to the market. Yeah, it's trading at a big premium to the market. You know, so, Val, again, what's going on? All right. All right, here it is. It's not cheap, but when I see stamps.com 
on the top. What comes to my mind, and Mo, you saw this, the U.S. Post Office is having its ass kicked because no one's sending anything anymore. So they're going to close down something like 2,000 rural post offices. Now, I've done a little less work here than I was hoping to, so I actually don't know what percentage of post offices Well, do, do that the math. Is. Do the math. You got, you got a calculator? I, I, uh, here we go. So what do you got? Do you got 2,000 post offices. 2,000 post offices times what? I don't know. What do you, how many people go in a day? I don't know. That's 20, my 20, problem. 20 Let's people? just say 20. 20 people that a day. That good. And then they buy stamps. Yeah. How many stamps are they going to buy? 10? Yeah. I don't know. Ten. That's a couple bucks worth of stamps. Ten, Ten stamps. stamps. So that's 400,000 stamps a day times, well, I wouldn't do 365 because they're closed more. This is the government. Yeah. Let's say 220. Okay. That's 88 million stamps. Wow. A year. Now, I don't, uh, again. How much I, do they make us? Yeah, how much, do they, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> how much do they make per stamp? You know, I'm going to admit. I don't know, but let's just guess. Two cents. Yeah, let's say it's two cents. Twenty percent margin. Yeah. No, stamps are twenty cents, right? Yeah, so but two, two cents cent- would be ten cents. Ten percent. Yeah, yeah, ten cents. Okay. Drum roll. So that's a million eight of revenues. And there's fourteen million shares. So I'm going to do the math here, and that comes out to thirteen cents. Ooh. That doesn't sound like a lot. Wait a so minute. Do you do we do short ideas on the no, show? No, this is not a short idea. So, uh, so they've got. Okay, wait. Let's regroup. Wait First a of all, a million no, stamps per what? office a day. Yeah. Okay. There's a million people that come to each post office, and they buy a million stamps, stamps a day. A day. All right. So and that, that would clearly work. Oh, well, let me just admit, I don't know what the numbers here are, and the value line's not helpful. A lot of this is probably available online at the U.S. Post Office site and all that in terms of how many offices and how many stamps. But here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. If 2,000 post offices go out, they're undoubtedly selling stamps. And so those people are going to have to make a decision about where to get stamps. And... Uh, you know, even if you prefer the Internet for texting and emailing and all that, you still got to send your electric bill in. Of course, they take it. You know, everyone's going Internet, but they still sell a lot of stamps. Do you know why they're closing those rural post offices? Yeah. No one's buying stamps. No. Well, they're not buying enough stamps. Right. However, maybe enough stamps for all stamps. that incremental stampage is going to have to find some. Well, certainly some of those will just go, hey, there's this thing called email, and they'll start doing that. But. There's some of them that need stamps. They're businesses. They got to stamp, put stamps on p- packages. And I know a lot of businesses. They don't use UPS and FedEx. They're too expensive. They use the post office because they're cheaper. And so I'm thinking, Mo, that this closing down of rural post offices is a catalyst to get this stamps thing going. And I, I see the last five years of revenue is just flat. 84, 85, 85, 82, 85. Now, 2,000 post offices close. Maybe you get a 95. I know the math didn't suggest that. Uh, Well, you know, maybe if they go to China and every person just buys one stamp. Put Mao Zedong on a stamp and then sell them in China. I mean, there's there's so many ideas. But here's the thing. Stamps.com. 
It's been around a very long time. It's 22 times trailing earnings. If they can grow earnings, let's say over the next three or four years at 50%, not per year, but total, that might be 10% a year for four or five years because the post offices are closing down, people are going to need other places to buy stamps, then that means that this stock is probably selling at 15 times earnings of two or three or four years from now. And they've got, best as I could tell, no debt. They've got about a dollar and a half in cash. Um, value line here, which, you know, I don't know how smart they are, but they think the five-year sales growth rate is going to be 25%, not 10% per year. And so that would mean that sales are going to triple over three years, and that would mean that earnings could be going to two or three bucks, and the stock's at 16. That's five times. So I don't see a lot of downside here. Um, because there's undoubtedly a lot of market share in stamps. The valuation is a little bit uh, reliant on the future and their market share gains. And there's no evidence of this happening, by the way. Sales have been completely flat. But I'm just doing a little analysis, which is called reading the paper, where these post offices are shutting down. And, uh, and it was a very tough issue this week. Not that I'm making apologies for this idea. I'm not. This could really work. But it's not up to, you know, it, it's not the type of stock that um, normally I like to talk about. It requires a little bit of creative thinking here to get to the, Mo, <laughs> Mo's pushing his crickets button on his <laughs> So anyway, let me throw out a couple of other positives. Because uh, we need more. Keep, keep working it. <laughs> we need. Keep working we it. We need a few more. Okay. In 2010, return on equity 24%. And then in the five years before that, they averaged kind of low to mid-teens. Not great. But last year, they really uh, had some type of breakthrough on earnings and margins. And so, uh, and, and a little bit of growth in sales per share. Uh, they have been buying stock back. So even though this is a small little company, they've been generating enough free cash flow. So, uh, you know, 70 cents, 60 cents, 80 cents, and they've been using that to buy back stocks. So eight years ago, they had 22 million shares. Now they have 14 million shares. That's pretty darn good, wouldn't you say, Mo? Oh, I've got goosebumps <laughs> all over. So, so that's, I don't, know, I don't know. So, uh, so what are your thoughts? on My on thoughts that? are E-Diet looks pretty interesting. But we're talking about stamps. Oh, right now. yeah. Sorry. All right. <laughs> okay. Good. I like them. All right. Like so, them. so Mo uh, is not that sure about this one, but I do think there's something here with these closed down of the post offices. So anyway, that's a, okay. So favorite. Let's get right to the favorite. Email us with what you think is your the best idea, and we'll send the winner the uh, PowerPoint presentation from E Diets. We'll. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we may put it on the website. To, to 25 pages, it's pretty, it's, looks pretty compelling. Well, that, that's a pretty good presentation, no question. Um, my favorite stock this week, I'm not going to say E-Diets, only because I haven't really checked it out fully, but I think that's pretty interesting. But uh, I'm going to go with Limelight Network simply because I've already done all the work, I already own it, and I think this Amazon and Netflix um, fad is, uh, is going to, uh, and I'm, you've heard it here, I think this trend of watching movies on the Internet 
is just going to grow. No. Yeah. No. You heard it here. Really? Yep. Yep. Well, boy, you're ahead of the curve on that yep. one. Yep. yep. And I'm going to go with e-diets because I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> All right. Well, so you've heard it. Another, uh, another week here with the value guys. I want to thank everyone for listening in. See all our caveats and all of our uh, bios, photographs, and, and a link to every show. We've got five years of shows up and our best ideas list on the website at www.thevalueguys.com. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Bye. Let me ask you a question.